Billingham. And so they're walking down to the Newcastle and they're looking at Newcastle and they're looking at all the shops and the stores and the department buildings and they're just amazed, you know, because I mean the biggest shop they'd ever been in in Billingham was the spa. And so they'd never, they'd never sort of been and seen anything like this as they went to the city and, and saw what was going on there. And, and, and they went in this department store and as they're in the department store, they saw this old lady and she was very frail and very old and and this old lady was walking across a department store and, and George and Eddie were watching her and, then, and she just sort of got to the wall. And as she approached the wall, the wall sort of opened up before her. And this old lady sort of walked into the hole that was left in the wall and suddenly the wall closed behind it. And George and Eddie are looking at one another and thinking, we've never seen nothing like this. And all of a sudden they see this ping, ping, ping. And then it goes ping, ping, ping. And all of a sudden, the wall opened up again, and this beautiful young blonde lady came walking out of this hole in the wall. And the old fella turned to his son and he says, Why, hi, Eddie. He says, The next time we come to Newcastle, be sure to bring your mother. Anyway. <laughs> Turn in your Bibles, if you want, will, to 1 Samuel. That's in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel, chapter 30, 1 Samuel, chapter 30, and I want to share with you this morning about a little story that some of you will, most of you will know and have heard preached on, I am sure, on many occasions, 1 Samuel, chapter 30, and verse 1 to 6. We also bring you greetings from Life Church in Cardiff, and uh, they send their love, uh, and uh, we just uh, encourage when we get back and tell them all that we see that is taking place here, because it's been a great encouragement to us to see what's happening here with you, uh, and uh, we will go back and encourage our own people, that if God can do it up north, then <laughs> if God can do it with you folks, then God can do it with us, because he's a God that doesn't change, and it's not dependent on us, it's all dependent on the goodness of our God. 1 Samuel chapter 30, just a few verses from verse 1. It says, David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day, and now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag, and they had attacked Ziklag and burnt it, and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. When David and his men came to Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and their sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives had been captured, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in his spirit because of his sons and daughters, but David found strength in the Lord. Then in verse 17, we read there, David fought them. This is now speaking of the Amalekites. It says, David fought them from dusk until evening of the next day, and none of them got away, except 400 young men who rode off on camels and fled. David recovered everything the Amalekites had taken, including his two wives. 
Nothing was missing, young or old, boy or girl, plunder or anything else that they had taken. David brought everything back. David brought everything back. Those of you that know your Bibles and know this story will know that it takes place when David has been living in the land of the Philistines and he's been out on a raiding party and while he's away the Amalekites come and they attack the base where David is, is living. And as you read there, they come and they burn everything and they take everything. And so when David's men return, the wives, the kids, their stuff, everything is gone. He's lost everything. Not just David, but all of his men have lost everything that they had. Just think about that this morning. That while you're here at church, you're you're having a great time, and suddenly you go back home, and when you get back home, everything is gone. Not just your house, the photographs, the stuff that you had, but everything is gone. Your family, your relatives, your husband, your wife, your... Man, some of you might not complain too much about that, but your husband, your your, your wife... I mean, you can't say that because you're Christians, but God knows what you think in your heart. But, but your, your, your wives, your husbands, your kids, your parents, everything is gone and you are left alone in the world as just you and the rest of the folks who fellowship here that... New Life Church. That's the situation David finds himself in. Now we read that David brought everything back. So there's a great ending to the story. And and we'll get there in, in just a moment about David bringing everything back. But the problem didn't begin when the Amalekites came raiding Ziklag. You see, we read this story and we think, oh, David's away, he's doing his thing, he's on with what he's on with, and the enemy comes in and steals everything, takes everything that David had, but, and we think, what a terrible thing to happen. And it was, but I would suggest to you this morning, the problem didn't begin when the Amalekites raided this town. You see, if you read through the preceding chapters And you begin to read through what was taking place in David's life. Before this took place, you'll see that for three whole chapters of the Bible, from verse 27, 28 and 29, until we come to chapter 30, for three whole chapters of the Bible, which covered a period of 16 months, David was in a far country and he was looking and acting like a Philistine. For three chapters, for 16 months, David is living in a place that he should not have been living and he's living in a lifestyle that he shouldn't have been adopting. He was not in the right place physically or spiritually. You wonder why things happen like this. You wonder why the Amalekites came and raided David's home and his town and stole his wife and his kids and all their possessions and burned his houses and did the same to all his men. And you wonder why it happened and say, oh, what a great thing. But the good news is, David brought everything back. I would suggest to you this morning that if actually if David had been in the place that he was, he should have been, and he was doing the things that he should have been doing, that maybe this thing might have been avoided and it might not have taken place he was not in the right place physically he was not in the right place spiritually and I'm amazed just pastorally how often these two things are so closely linked when people get overtired when people are not in the right place physically 
how it can affect how they're not in the right place spiritually. See, I want us to look this morning at not just that David got everything back, because that's the bit that people normally preach on. David fetched everything back, and we're all, yes, yes, fantastic. But I would like us to look this morning at where I believe where everything started to go wrong. Because the longer I live, I've decided I want to try and avoid as much pain as I can. Anybody else with me on that? See, when you're young, you don't sort of tend to learn from other people's experience. You've got to learn from yourself. And, but when you've lived a lifetime, it's good to learn from other people's experience. You've learned the wisdom of thinking, well, let them suffer the pain and I'll learn from it. Yeah, because we know what pain feels like. And I, I, this morning, I just want you to be encouraged that maybe there are some things we can learn here in this passage that might help us if we look at where things, not just how David got everything back, because we'll look at that. But actually, where things started to go wrong. And if you turn to 1 Samuel 26, just turn a couple of your pages of your Bible, Psalm 100, sorry, 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel 26, and verse 25, we read here where things, I believe, began to go wrong. It says, then Saul said to David, you know, they'd had this occasion where David and Saul threatening to kill one another, all that's going on, and David spares his life. And then we read here, Then Saul said to David, May you be blessed, my son David. You will do great things and surely triumph. And then these words come. So David went on his way, and Saul returned home. Well, in other words, Saul returned home, but David went on his way. David went on his way. Or maybe we better, it would be better put, David went on his way. David went on his way. If, I would suggest that if you want to know why these things happened with the Amalekites and they raided Ziglag, it begins here with this verse when it says that David went on his way. To me, these words describe something very vague and very ruthless. He went on his way. Well, what's his way? Where did his way go? I've all, you know, we've all heard of Frank Sinatra and doing it my way. I did it my way. I'm a good singer, by the way. <laughs> my way. Well, that's what David did in this passage. He went on his way. But where did his way get him? Where did his way get him? See, for years, David had lived with purpose and direction. When you read through his life, you see that David lived with a real purpose and a real direction to it. He served his family as a shepherd boy. And he took his responsibility very seriously of taking care of the family flocks because whenever the lion or a bear would come to steal one of the sheep or one of the lambs, David would take his own life in his hands and attack the lion and attack the bear and defeat them to protect the responsibility that he'd given them. He developed a great relationship with God on the hillside with wonderful times of worship and praise. He tended the sheep, he'd worship God. 
he'd been anointed to be king. And he'd won some great battles. He'd lived with purpose. He'd lived with design. He'd lived with responsibility. But it seems when you get to chapter 26 and this last verse, that he'd allowed the pressure of opposition to bring him to a vulnerable state. He allows the solid things in his life to be whittled away until he comes to a place where he runs from his roots. He becomes out of touch with the familiar and he becomes a law unto himself. He's hurt, disillusioned, he's betrayed by his relatives. You know, when you lose your sense of purpose, when you get hurt by church or betrayed by people that you loved, it's easy to lose your way. David went on his way. Comes to a point through all of his experience, even though he'd lived with purpose, it comes to a point now where David just wants to do it his way. C.S. Lewis, the writer of those Narnia Chronicles, he once said this, he said, to walk out on God's will is to walk into nowhere. To walk out of God's will is to walk into nowhere. When David went on his way, he walked out of God's way. Up until this point, he's following God's direction and leadership, but now David goes on his way. And we can overlook the significance of it if we don't actually look and see what followed. And if you look at that, you'll see that David, in going on his way, we can become sitting ducks for bad choices. Once you decide to go on your way, you can become a sitting duck to make bad choices. And if you look at this story, you'll see that David makes certain bad choices that he wouldn't have made if he hadn't have gone on his way. They were the direct uh, 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 result of just going his way. So this morning, if you're thinking of going your way, can I encourage you? Read the story. Read the story. Because you might seem all right to say, oh, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to go my way. I'm going to go in this direction, I'm going, to let my, I'm going to be in charge of my life, I'm going to go on my way. Realize that once you go on your way, you become very vulnerable to making some wrong decisions and some bad choices. The first one that I see is that when David, when it says that David went on his way, the first thing I see is that he began to make some, or to began to choose some wrong attitudes. He began to choose some wrong attitudes. Now, most people never think of choosing their attitudes. Do you? I mean, you get an attitude. You feel an attitude. You can drift into an attitude. You can wake up with an attitude. My wife woke up grumpy this morning. But I got up made of the cup of tea <laughs> see we can you're right love <laughs> see we can wake up with an attitude but you know we choose our attitude I learned many years ago that uh, I can't remember where they learned it but I, but I read it somewhere that, that airplanes have attitude now I knew that they had altitude thankfully but, but they have attitude. And attitude, anybody fly planes in here this morning? Oh, I could tell you anything then, can't you? You're going to believe me. But, but airplanes have attitude. 
and, and the attitude is a, is, a, is a measurement that the pilot takes. Uh, and uh, it's a measurement that's to do with something to do with from one wing tip to the other, from the nose, nose of the plane to the tail of the plane, and from the top of the plane to the bottom of the plane. And the position of that gives the air of the plane attitude. And by attitude, the pilot means, or in our terms, it means the angle of approach. So those things determine the attitude or the angle of approach of the air of the plane. And it's very important because if the attitude or the angle of approach isn't right when he comes in to land, it can come down too steeply and crash and burn. Or it can come down too shallow and bounce off the runway and have to go down again until it comes in with the right attitude. And I think life can be very much like that, you know, our, the attitudes that we live with. Some att- people live with attitudes that continually cause them to crash and burn in relationships. Other people live with that attitude that's so shallow that they have to keep going round and round, making the same mistakes, never learning their lessons. They never come into a safe landing because they keep choosing the wrong angle of approach to life. But your attitude is your choice. And I've discovered some people don't like that thought. They don't like that idea that I'm responsible for my attitudes because that means when we've got a bad attitude or the wrong attitude there's nobody to blame but ourselves it's our choice I want to tell you this morning your attitude is your choice it doesn't just happen Smith Wigglesworth said that you can feel any way you want to feel any time you want to feel it it's attitude and When you get in the wrong place, when you begin to say, I'm going to go in my direction like David did, it leaves the door open for wrong attitudes to come. In 1 Samuel 27 and verse 1, look just as he says, David went on his way, and then we read these words. But David thought to himself, one of these days I will be destroyed by the hand of Saul. The best thing that I can do is escape to the land of the Philistines, Then Saul will give up searching for me anywhere in Israel and I will slip out of his hand. David went on his way and immediately he began to choose to be self-centered, self-protected and self-preserving. This was not an attitude of trusting God and depending on his resource. Remember up until this time Saul had been chasing him but David had always been dependent on God. Always resting his case on God. Saying, I'm not going to tilt Saul's life. I'm not going to touch those that God has anointed. I'm not going to grab it for myself. I'm in God's hands. But now he's gone on his way. And he begins to choose long attitudes of self-centeredness and self-preservation and self-protection. It's not that attitude of trusting God and depending on his resources. His purpose now is not God's plan. Or God's kingdom. But it's in saving his own skin. When he went on his way. His attitude changes. You know whenever you become selfish. And self thinking. It will always lead to depression. And self pity. One of these days. I will be destroyed. The second thing that I see is. Not only did he choose wrong attitudes. But he he chose a wrong direction. Because of this, 
it says. He traveled deeper into a land that he should not have been in. He says, the best thing that I can do is escape to the land of the Philistines. The best thing that I can do. He chose to go on his way and then he chooses long attitudes of self-protection. And then he says, he's going to choose a long direction. The best thing I can do is, is not go to church on Sunday. The best thing that I can do is go and live in the land of the Philistines. Choosing bad attitudes will always cause you to take bad directions. And it will always cause you to go further from God's plan. So he was destined to be the king of Israel, but here we see him going to the land of the Philistines. So you'll never get to the right place when you go in the wrong direction and you get caught up with the wrong things and the wrong people. He went to the heart of the land of the Philistines. He went to Gath, their capital city. And he got so settled there. He got so settled there that we read in chapter 27 verse 12 that the king of Gath said to himself, speaking of David, because David is so settled there, he says to him, he will be my servant forever. He will be my servant forever. From there, David goes on to Ziklag. Ziklag means winding. David gets so twisted up in a place and with a people that he shouldn't have been and with people that he shouldn't have been with. And then you begin to wonder why things go wrong for him. You see, we rejoice that David brought everything back. But I'm more concerned how everything got lost in the first place. See, I've had things taken from me and I want to try and learn the lesson of not allowing them to be taken again. God might bring them me back, but if I can learn some wisdom in not losing them in the first place, to me that's a better place to be than just simply bringing them back. David had wrong attitudes that caused him to go in a wrong direction and then we see that it caused him to choose long actions in chapter 27 and verse 8 listen to this about David isn't what it says about David now David and his men went up and raided the Geshurites the Gerzites and the Amalekites it says whenever verse 9 whenever David attacked an area he did not leave a man or the woman alive but took sheep cattle, donkeys and camels and clothes then he returned to Ashish this is a king when the king Ashish asked him where did you go raiding today David had lied to him and say oh I went against the Negev of Judah or against the Negev of Jehamadil or against the Negev of the Kenites but David did not leave a man or the woman alive to be brought to Gath for he thought they might inform on us and say This is what David did. And such was his practice as long as he lived in Philistine territory. David. David and his men become so violent, carrying out these ruthless raids on these people, and he was on a daily basis. Read what the Bible says. He went out daily, killing and slaughtering men, women, and children 
and these small outposts and villages in Philist, in the land of the Philistines, and to cover his backs, cover his back, he totally annihilated every living, breathing person, young or old, in case news got back about what he did. So he lies to cover his murder. How far they moved from the red-haired, freckle-faced, tender poet, the shepherd boy of his early years. How far they moved from the guy that wrote these beautiful psalms, so sensitive to the presence of the living God. How far they moved from this one who God himself described that he's got a heart after me. How far they moved, how far David has gone to be in this place. But it all it started when David decided to go on his way. And here we come where David is choosing long actions. See, we wonder why God didn't let him build the temple and God says, because you've been a man of blood. And we think, well, it's a bit harsh. But think about it. Every day David was going out and killing men, women, and children And the only reason was not the glory of God. It was not to cleanse the land. He was only wiping them out to cover his own skin in case word got back of his thievery. And I want you to note when David did all this, he wasn't there alone. His two wives and his family, his 600 men, They all went with him and so being in the wrong place and being influenced by the wrong people and beginning to do the wrong things will affect more than just you. Sometimes we think it's just our choice, but it's never just our choice. Whatever we do has an effect on those around about us and these things that David did, these bad choices, these bad decisions that David began to make didn't just affect him. So we wonder why the Amalekites came and then maybe we can understand that things went wrong not just when they appeared over the hillside but maybe a long time before when David went on his own way. Now, when everything was lost, David did three things. And I'm glad that we can all make mistakes. We can all be in the wrong place at the wrong time doing the wrong things. It, we can all choose to go on our way. We can all, and if, but if we can avoid doing that, it's going to save us a lot of pain and a lot of anguish. I can imagine these guys, don't forget these were hardened warriors. And it says they wept until they could weep no more. I wonder how many of us have been there. I wonder how many of us have been there. To weeping, tears and grieving until we can weep no more. And I would suggest that David got in this position through his own mistakes. But when everything was lost, David did three things. And I just want to share with with you quickly this morning. Number one, David found strength in the Lord. You turn to chapter 30, verse 7, 1 Samuel chapter 30 and verse 7. says, David said to Abiathar, the priest, the son of Ahimelech, 
Bring me the ephod. And Abathar brought it to him. And David inquired of the Lord. Oh, sorry. In, uh, in verse 6, sorry. It says, David was greatly distressed because his men were talking of stoning him. They were each bitter in their spirit because of his sons and daughters. But David found strength in his God. David found strength in his God. David had lost everything because of his own weaknesses. But he comes to a place where he knows he can only recover what's been lost through God's strength. He lost it through his weakness, but he, he comes to the place where he realizes he can only get it back through God's strength. And he begins to bounce back. He begins to bounce back. He begins to find strength in his God. He begins to get back to basics. Finding strength in God. And it doesn't say how he did it. It doesn't say how he did it. But maybe we can learn some things from previously. In 1 Samuel 23 and verse 15 it says this. And Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horash. And he says that Jonathan helped him find strength in the Lord. And he says, and this is how he did it. He says, don't be afraid. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel and I will be second to you. Even my father knows this. So we don't know how David found strength in the Lord, but maybe he remembers when Jonathan helped him find strength in the Lord. And he says, come on, don't be afraid. God's got a plan for you. You're under his protection. Maybe it was that, or maybe he would, he remembered that his destiny was, you know, I can't die now. This can't be the end because I remember when Samuel the prophet came to me with that word and anointed me to be king over Israel. Sometimes when we get in that place and we don't know what to do, you know, to help us find strength in the Lord, we have to go back to the times when God has spoken to us and given us promises that we can hold on to even through the darkness of our night. That's why it's good to just to maybe keep a journal and write things down so you can go back and hear what God has said so those things can help you find strength in the Lord. Maybe he got out his guitar. Maybe he just began to strum a few chords. Maybe he began to play and began to recite some of the songs that he wrote on those hillsides while he tended the sheep and maybe he just got lost in worship. But David found strength in the Lord. Maybe he just put on a CD in the kitchen. Maybe he just put on a CD and just began to praise the Lord as he was washing the dishes or driving the car, doing the decorating. Even though everything was just going down the tubes, David found strength in the Lord. He just put on the CD. He began to praise God. He began to go to the place where he knew God would be. In the place of worship. Maybe he realized that Goliath, that like Goliath, the Amalekites were uncircumcised and therefore outside of the covenant. Outside of the promises of God. Outside of God's blessing. So why should I be afraid? God is for me. Who can be against me? The Lord is my strength. He is my rock. He is my salvation. 
God isn't for these things. God's for me. Maybe that's what David began to think about. Or maybe he remembered that God had already signed their death certificate when Saul should have slain them. Remember earlier in chapter 15 when God called Saul to to destroy all the Amalekites and Saul didn't? (laughs) Maybe he says, well, these these guys that have taken everything I've got, the dead men walking anyway because God signed their death warrant. I can go after them. We can get everything back because God's already given the verdict on them. I don't know how he found strength in the Lord, but he did, and so must we. That's where he began, to get everything back. The second thing I see is, he got God's mind on what to do. He, he inquired of the Lord. He inquired of the Lord. Verse 7 and 8, he says to the priest, bring the ephod. And David inquires of the Lord. God had been on the sidelines for 16 months. David's strength had been drained away. But now he begins to call upon the Lord. And that first step of recovery was to get God's plan of action. You know, no matter how dark things seem, inquire of the Lord. See, once you reprioritize, you can begin the journey of recovery. David found strength in the Lord and then he says, Lord, now what should I do? Because now he's not looking at his own wisdom, he's looking at God's wisdom. He gets this relationship back in place so that he can begin to get the direction that comes from living right from God. The Bible says that the sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. You've got to get the relationship right first before you'll get the direction bit that comes. And then we read that David got back to business. In chapter, verse 17 and verse 20 of chapter 30, it says that David fought them. He got his men together and he set off in pursuit. He got back to business. I like the thought here that when David gets his, his relationship with God back again, And he begins to get God's plan and confirmation that he's going to be victorious back again. I I like to think that something stirred in David. I like to think that he got, and and please excuse me, but I think he got a bit bloody minded. David. Because I think David was a bit like that. Remember when he took those sandwiches up to his brothers and the Philistine army on one side of the hill and, and the Israelites on the other side and David's watching and thinking, well, where's the battle going on? What? And he sees a giant come out and give his threats and issue his challenge and nobody takes it up. And something rises up and David and he says, who is this? Who is he? Who is this uncircumcised fellow? Who does he think he is? Trying to take on the people of God. Who, come, so, and then I'll take him. He gets so indignant that this opposition is standing in the wood. The way of the purposes and the plans of God, he gets so indignant, something rises up in him. And and I think that's what happens again here with David. That when he gets his relationship back right with God, when he gets God's plan and confirmation on stuff, it just rises up in David again. And he says, come on guys, we can't lose our stuff to them. He 
I wonder how often we are too nice with the devil. Remember Jesus' words, he says, we've got an enemy who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And some of you this morning have come out of your homes and you've set the alarm. Well, you'd have to up here, wouldn't you? I mean, (laughs) you haven't fed the dog because you want it to be vicious. (laughs) You've locked the door, shut the gate, you've done all of those things because you're trying to protect your stuff. And yet we leave our hearts wide open for anybody to come to steal, kill and destroy. We are our ears to be open to all sorts of garbage. And yet the Bible says it, listen to this, some of you who love your Bible and love doctrine, some of you theologians, listen to this, I've got a shock for you. The Bible says this. Well, let me ask you this. What do you think is the most important thing for the Christian to do? Pray? Praise the Lord? No. No. Not according to the Bible anyway. See, the Bible says this. Above all things. Above all things. Nah. Guard your heart. Above all things, guard your heart. And how often we leave our hearts wide open. You know, Jesus says, be as wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. And yet often, we're the most gullible, stupid, foolish people in all the world. Because we've got to be nice, haven't we? But the Bible says, above all things, guard your heart. We'll guard our stuff, but we leave our hearts wide open. And we leave our hearts open because often we leave our eyes open. We leave our mouths open. We leave our ears open. We'll take anything in. We'll just accept anybody's behavior. We don't have any standards. We just, and we allow our hearts, the enemy, to come in. So we get our joy stolen from us because we allow the words of somebody to grieve us. Doesn't happen with you then, just with me. We allow our peace to be disturbed because we allow what something we see or hear to rob our joy. Turn to Psalm 1, will you? I mean, we're just going off on a little rabbit warren, but we'll be back in a minute. It's a bit like a a fat lady getting through a barbed wire fence. I've just only got another point and I'll be through. So, (laughs) but but some someone, (laughs) you're like that love. (laughs) Someone, let me let me this to you because this is. If you can get this this morning, it will change your life. Seriously. Psalm 1, blessed is a man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. Fantastic, we live right. His delight is in the law of the Lord. We love the Bible. We meditate on it day and night. And then it says, he is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does, prospers. Wouldn't you like to live a life where everything you do prospers? 
Everything you like to live that sort of life. Where everything you do prospers. Yeah, like to live that sort of life. Can I say to you, you already do. See, whatever you do does prosper. But what prospers will be according to whatever you do. Whatever you do prospers. So if you take offence, it'll prosper. Bitterness will grow. Resentment will go. So it's, what I, it's not what they did. See, people can give offence, but what's going to prosper? It's only going to prosper if you take it. Whatever you do prospers. But what prospers will be according to whatever you do. Good, isn't it? See, if you live your life, see, it doesn't matter what anybody else does. Can't touch me. It's what I do that will prosper. That's why it's down to me to forgive. It's down to me to be a blessing. Whatever I do will prosper. It's my attitude that will prosper. I don't care if you like me or you don't like me. I mean, really, I don't care. And I don't mean that because I'm not interested and I'm not feeling. But it's my attitude that's going to prosper. It's about how I am, what I do, that's going to prosper. David began to stir himself, began to challenge himself, began to get back to business, to began to get indignant about what the enemy has stolen. See, really, it doesn't matter what ha- what's happened to you. That's not the important thing. It's how you react to what has happened to you. That's what's important. We've all got stories in this room today. Every one of us carries scars. For some of us, they're mainly in the back. <laughs> but we've all got stories, and we've all got scars, and we all carry pain. Everybody in this room today has had experiences we wish we didn't have, but... It's how we react to them. See, things happened years ago, but we're still nursing and rehearsing them. We're still celebrating our pity parties. We're still allowing what that person said or that person did years ago to affect us today. And we blame them. No, 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 it's whatever you do that will prosper. I love those words of Jesus. He says, the prince of this world has now come, but he's got nothing on me. I think if it was more just to sin, I think there was nothing. Jesus was like Teflon. Nothing stuck on him. He wasn't allowing to go and let anything anybody else did affect him and his relationship with the Lord. That's why he says, forgive your enemies. Because your unforgiveness isn't going to have an effect upon them. But it is going to destroy you. And David here begins to stir up and say, I am not going to allow these enemy to steal from me. Something rose up within him. He recovered, he recovered his true identity and so must we. Our identity is not to be victims, it's to be victors. I read just a few days ago about some European monarch. I don't know what country this guy was king in, but he was a European monarch 
and, and this guy had supreme power. This was in the day when kings really ruled. And uh, this European monarch, he asked one of his trusted advisors to come to him at regular intervals and just whisper in his ear and say these words to him. He says, and these were the words that he was to whisper. He says, remember, you are mortal. Remember, you are mortal. And the king wanted to be reminded of this because with absolute power, they didn't want his power to go to his head. And so he wanted this guy to come to continually to remind him to say, remember, you are mortal. Can I dare to suggest this morning that we so often need the opposite advice? That we need to be reminded not of who we are, but of who Christ is in us. He's the hope of glory. Because if we lived with that thought alive in us, maybe we wouldn't give up so easily. We wouldn't give up so easily what's our destiny, what's our purpose, what's our future. And even when at times it gets stolen, we'd make sure that we recovered it all. Because something rises up in us. So often, the stuff that... The Bible says, doesn't it, that having given us Christ, will he not also graciously give us all things? I wonder how easily we give up the all things. And we allow what Christ has done on Calvary to be wasted. We settle, um, hear me now, please hear me. We settle for being saved and having our place in heaven secured. But we allow the life and the life more abundantly to be continually stole from us. And yet the life now and the life more abundantly was all part of the package that Jesus won for us at Calvary. And we allow, we allow ourselves to live less than where we should be living. Even though we know our future is guaranteed in Christ, we understand that. But because of that, we just think, well, that's it. But actually, Jesus didn't just die to get you to heaven. He died to get you fit to live. It's not just about the there and then, it's about the here and now. It's not just about the kingdom come, it's about the kingdom that's here. And about us living as credible witnesses for Jesus, but often we allow stuff to be taken from us that steal and rob from us our credibility to live victorious lives for Jesus. And sometimes we just need to be reminded, yeah, you're, we are mortal, yeah, we are, but he isn't. And he dwells in us, he's the hope of glory and I'm not going to be content to allow the enemy to steal from me any longer this morning I do want to encourage you don't get in the place where everything can be stolen don't go your own way don't choose wrong attitudes wrong direction wrong actions don't do that that's the, the best place to dwell but if that's not been your story thus far then be encouraged that today you can get everything back. But it begins by finding strength in the Lord. It begins just by finding strength in the Lord. And then you can come to him and say, Lord, what must I do? What need I do? And then God can begin to change. 
the satisfaction, the, 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 the place where you are, where you've been living with less than what you should have been living with. God can say, go get it. It will be well with you. You can fetch it back. But first of all, you've got to get this right. Let's bow our heads and pray. This morning, I don't know you folks who are here. I don't know if all of you in this place know.